are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Well, since January, we have been focusing on the importance of having an active faith, one that is not dormant or silent, but one that is active in the world. I hope that when you think about your Christian life, that it's not just an internal experience for you, but God's real objective in our life is that our faith would be active in the world. And so we considered the formula HP plus CP plus CC equals MI, high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. I'm not going to rehash that whole thing. You can listen to that series on contagious Christianity. But we, we saw the, the words of Christ when he said that we were to be salt and we were to be light. We were not just meant to live in a cave somewhere, but we were to have impact in the world around us. And we're doing a series now called Making Disciples, and we're borrowing some uh, thoughts from Pastor Stan Gleason and our Bishop Norman Pasley II. And we're looking at what Jesus said when he gave us the Great Commission. And we read in Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read that again tonight. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission because it's place in Scripture is so important. It's one of the last recorded words of Jesus, and it's that now what statement. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's going, they're, they're kind of looking at him. He's getting ready to ascend, and he's telling them, now here's what you're supposed to do. Last week, we emphasized the first part of this uh, passage Does anybody remember what the first word of the Great Commission is? Shout it out. All. All is the first word of the Great Commission. And it's okay if you got it wrong, because we all get it wrong. But the point was last week that All is the first word that Jesus said. He said, all authority has been given given to me in heaven and in earth. We understand that Jesus' words to humanity was that before he leaves this earth, I'm going to tell you some things. And the only way for you to accomplish these things, if you understand that I have all authority, that what I need you to do on earth requires that you understand that I have all authority and ultimately that you submit to me as having all authority. And so then that next part, the most known part, go, right? But he says, go therefore, means he's pointing back to the all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So go is that statement that 
resonates with us that he calls us to be intentional about our life, not to just sit back and hope people ask us about our faith, but to actually be proactive in what we are doing for him. We're commanded to live intentionally, not to wait and hope that people are coming up to us. And so this is really what we talked about, the value of close proximity, the value of close proximity. Do people know that you're available to talk about Christ with? Are, are, do they know your relationship with Jesus Christ? We can be, as we mentioned many times in this crowd tonight, but we're not necessarily in proximity in relationship. And so this command to go is a decision to be in, relationships to, in relationship to other people so that they can ultimately become followers of Jesus Christ. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. To go and make disciples is our intention. It's an intentional decision that we make to be a part of God's mission in the world. And we ended last week talking about how we go and live on purpose, and we discussed two ways to live on purpose. The first way is direct, that God gives us a very direct word or a direct uh, statement that tells us to go to a specific place, a specific house, a specific uh, street corner, or, or show up at a certain area of the office. God tells us to, to go directly. But then there's also that indirect where it's that we're just living out our faith, we're just living our life, and we are in the right place at the right time. In both of those, we showed examples in Scripture as well as practical examples. So we want to look again at this uh, great commission, the words of Jesus Christ, Matthew 28 and 18. We read it, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. First, let's consider who we are to make disciples of. Who is it that we're called to go to? Jesus made it plain. We're to go make disciples of all nations. All nations, every nationality, every ethnicity, every language, every culture, every subculture. There's not an element of society that God is not reaching for. And we're called to go to those places. My prayer is that the Calvary Church is a church for all nations. Our pastoral team is committed to be an all-nations church. We work every week to make sure that if we, uh, uh, if we can, we reach into every area of our culture, every area that is around us. And we want everyone to feel like the Calvary Church is a place that you can come. I'll tell you, it's not easy. It's not cheap. It requires sensitivity. It gets messy. It requires energy, it requires patience, it requires humility, but God hasn't called us to one segment of an American society. We are to go to all nations. 
I thank God for many in this room who are invested in seeing uh, different cultures come to Christ in our church. I, I, I appreciate Wellington Sanchez tonight and, and the effort that he makes to make sure that people who are Spanish-speaking have an opportunity to hear the gospel, that the Calvary Church can minister, even though we're not uh, interpreting every service, we have interpreters who interpret in Spanish and in French and in sign. Why do we do this? Because we want everybody to be able to hear the gospel. And, and I thank God for people who are invested in this. Springdale itself, Springdale itself is one of, if not the most diverse city in Ohio as far as the number of nationalities and the number of languages. And I am thankful that our church represents many of those nationalities, and that's what we're called to do. And individually, I believe we're called to reach into segments of culture, segments of society, and I hope that, that none of us have this wall that we won't talk to certain people or we won't go to certain people. We're called to go where God wants us to go and needs us to go. And so... We consider who are the disciples he calls us to reach. It's all nations. And if we're going to make disciples, what does this process look like? What does this process look like? I would like to suggest there are two key tasks to being a part of God's mission to make disciples. Two key tasks. The first task in making disciples is to baptize. So Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, all right? So the first is to baptize. And let's consider three important reasons for baptism. First, baptism is an acknowledgement of the person that they are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. So why would someone want to get baptized? Because they believe in Jesus Christ. Christ. It's a personal decision that somebody made. Many of you, most of you have probably been baptized, and that was a decision, hopefully, that you made. It was a decision that you made to turn to Christ. We shouldn't manipulate people into being baptized. There are some scenarios, and I'm aware of some, some ministers who use tactics to manipulate people to be baptized. The reason people should be baptized is because they believe in Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't matter if you're under the water or not. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't surrender your heart to him, then that experience is not meaningful. It takes faith. It's an act of faith when that person decides to be baptized. And so, secondly, what we realize the, the important reason for baptism is it's a connection of that person then, their decision to follow Jesus Christ, their connection to the body of Christ. You don't baptize yourself. That's great. But that's not how we're baptized. We don't baptize ourselves. 
we are a part of a body. And so Jesus' directive to his disciples is that we would baptize, go and make disciples, baptizing them. We, as the disciple maker, have the responsibility to be a part of the equation. They put their faith in Jesus Christ, and then we are a part of the equation. And so, in particular, I am of the opinion, as was Bishop Pasley II, that the pastor does not have to baptize in order for it to be effective. It's not salvific if only the the pastor baptizes, and I'm always honored to baptize people. I love to baptize people, but I, I realize that the Bible doesn't tell us it has to be the pastor or the minister that baptizes. It's disciples. If you are a born-again believer, you are a part of the church, you are called to baptize. You're a part, uh, called to be a part of that equation. And finally, baptism is the spiritual application of taking on the identity of your Lord and Savior and being in covenant with Him. So when we are baptized, while it's the church, it's a person, a disciple that's doing the baptizing, they don't call on their own name. Because the authority was given to Jesus Christ. All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And so, while you are baptized by a disciple, you take on the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that when we baptize someone, we should baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Don't be confused by this, and don't be intimidated by this. This is powerful. Because the word name is singular. And so, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, when we are baptized... We take on the identity of all that God was. God was Father, God was Son, and God was Spirit. He manifested Himself in these ways. And so when we take on the name, we take on all that God is. And the prophet Isaiah spoke of this name. He said, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name shall be called. When Jesus tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, it's encompassing all that God was. You are taking on the identity of all that God was and is and is to come. So when Jesus was to come into the world, the angel came to Joseph and told him, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. 
When you are baptized, you take on the identity of a God that wants to be with us. And so baptism is important. It's an important step. We take on the identity of Christ. Paul would say in Galatians, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Amen. And so we understand the power of baptism as it relates to making disciples. Now, another question we may consider is the fact that Jesus only addresses baptism. Why not address the receiving of the Holy Spirit? Why isn't anything said about this in this passage? I personally think it's because the command was to us as disciple makers. The question being considered is, what is our role in making disciples? You and I cannot give anyone the Holy Spirit. And we can pray for them, but we are not the ones filling them with His Spirit. And we are not participants in their repentance. A person must come to a decision to repent of their sins. What is our role in the new birth? It is baptism. We partake with them in baptism. And so Jesus is telling them, here's your role in helping to make disciples. You can't pray the prayer of repentance for somebody. Let me help you. You can't pray the prayer of repentance for somebody. You can tell them some words to say. You can share with them what it means. But you cannot repent for somebody's sins. That's their decision. And you can't fill somebody with the Holy Spirit. You can't tell them the words to say. That's a supernatural experience. And if you're trying to tell them what to say so they receive it easier, it it, it really is ineffective. But what we are called to do is to baptize, to be a part of that equation where somebody decides to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So how does somebody come to a decision to be baptized? It is helped by our willingness to be salt and light. So we show love. We live in a way that glorifies God. We share our testimony, what God has done for us. We communicate truth. We communicate the truth of God's word, what Jesus said to do. And so, Lord willing, they see it. They see the need to repent of their sins. They see the need to be baptized in Jesus' name, and they allow God's spirit to fill them. And so, we help them by... Showing love, glorifying God, sharing our testimony, and communicating truth. So the first task of disciple-making is to see people believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized. We see through Scripture the importance and power of baptism. And I, I want you to have confidence today. I know Pastor Pasley was working on this really hard, but I'm going to tell you, I, I'm picking up the mantle with it. That if you're witnessing to somebody, if you're discipling somebody, you need to baptize that person. Some of you just got real nervous. Just like, okay, I'm out. 
what we're called to do to help make disciples. And so we want to see people converted to come to a decision of faith in Jesus Christ. And so we understand that importance. However, conversion or baptism is not the end or the completion of our job as disciple makers. Baptism, baptism is the birth certificate. I was looking for, we don't have our, any certificates up here, they're in the back, but baptism is that birth certificate. It's not the diploma. And that's what we have to understand about disciple making. We certainly celebrate conversions. Heaven rejoices before anybody's even baptized. Heaven's already having a party once they've turned their hearts to Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that decision to be baptized. But it would be a shame to have a baby, celebrate the birth of that baby, and then leave it at the hospital. I I pray that Luke and Steph bring their baby home. (laughs) And so I conclude with this second task of disciple making, and that is simply teaching. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. To observe everything I have commanded you, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is just as important as celebrating the birth of a baby is the task of caring for and developing that baby into a child, an adolescent, and ultimately an adult. Parents are a part of the process of teaching a child how to walk, how to talk, how to live, Constantly providing correction, admonishment, answering questions. And so we have to understand, and more importantly, here's the challenge. We can understand it, but we really have to start embracing this idea that our job is not over when a spiritual baby is born. We don't just drop it off at the church and hope they figure it out. Jesus did not say our jobs were finished when we saw somebody baptized. He said, teach them, teach them. Now, what did Jesus teach them? He said, teach them whatever I've commanded you. Taught them the power of love. He taught them beatitudes. He taught them righteous living. He taught them the way to salvation. He taught them the power of healing, the the power of mercy and long-suffering and forgiveness and, and parables and principles and all kinds of things. And he taught them to go, therefore, and make more disciples. So how do we see someone come to grow in Christ? How do we teach them? Certainly, the church offers great opportunities to have the Word of God taught. It is part of the equation, and it's vital. I'm thankful we have venues to have the Word of God taught. Discover Calvary, Membership 101, Ministry 201, Adult Sunday School, Young Professionals, New Life Class, Growth University, Nathan Purpose Institute, 
He loves Purpose Institute. Just waiting for him to sign up. He's getting close. But these are incredible opportunities to hear, to be taught the word of God. And so somebody who is growing in Christ or new in Christ, these venues are great. They're a part of the equation. And just as most parents today allow school to provide education to their children, we know the great value that church can have in helping new believers understand the word of God. However, I would add that as a parent, my children are not just learning at school. They learn at home. They're learning in conversations. They're asking questions. They're catching things from Kristen and I just by watching us live. They're in close enough proximity to us that they can see how we respond to certain scenarios. And God told us in his word how learning should take place and how teaching should take, take place. Deuteronomy 6.4, you're familiar with it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Then what does he say in verse 7? You shall teach them diligently. Diligently. To your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You're catching things, you're learning things as you go. And he talked about binding them as a sign on your hand and, and uh, frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorpost. There's constantly these ways in which you learn the ways of God. And so I would propose that we help make disciples. When we walk with them outside of regular church times. Is that practical enough? Being willing to share with them the word of God. Maybe a personal Bible study. Or even just meet with them regularly over coffee or a meal. Not to take the scripture to them for something, but to let them talk. Let them ask questions. Give them a chance to explore some of their doubts and their fears. Because if we're all honest, when we came to Christ, and even maybe right now, we still have questions. There's always questions that come up. And you can't always get it from the message that was preached on Sunday or taught on Wednesday or some class you attend. Sometimes it's just a question you got to ask. And so having somebody who's walking with them is helpful. Have your children ever asked you a question you didn't know the answer to? You just make it up. You ever been asked tough questions from your children? <laughs> Not to get too awkward in here, but I think I've shared this before, but when Emma was five or six years old, we were driving to school, and I thought it was a good idea to listen to the Bible, and so we start in Genesis, and uh, in the book of Genesis, it describes a covenant that God made with his people, uh, specifically with Abraham. It was a covenant of, of circumcision. Well, I wasn't really thinking about that playing as we were driving, but the inevitable happened 
Dad, what circumcision? Oh, boy. All right. So I said, well, let me, uh, you know, it was Wednesday, too. I remember that because I was getting ready for Wednesday. And I said, after service tonight, I will, I will tell you about that. But I really needed time to talk to a few people to make sure I was not going to create more problems. So um, anyway, we had that conversation. I, I've I, this is this confession time, I guess. But um, I've I teach my girls cuss words. This get awkward? Because I want them to hear it from me. I want them not, not because I cuss a lot, but. <laughs> I want to be the one to explain to them what some of these things mean. As, as the teacher, I want them to understand when somebody says this, what that means, because there's a lot of cussing that goes on at the Calvary Academy, I'll tell you that. And the students are bad, too. So, so but it's our prerogative, and it's our obligation to teach children to talk of things, and week by week, and it, it's unrealistic to think that somebody is baptized and then all of a sudden they're set for their spiritual journey. It takes questions. It takes answers. It takes going back and forth. And that happens over time. And here's what I believe that God is really calling us to as a culture in our churches. And I'm not sure how it's going to ultimately play out, but I, I believe it'll become the norm rather than the exception. That when somebody comes to God and is baptized, that we have disciple makers that rise up. If they're not already tied to a disciple maker, somebody will take it upon themselves to walk with that person, not just for a week, not just for a few months through a Bible study, but I've watched. It really does take some time for somebody to mature in Christ. It could take anywhere from a year to three years potentially, for somebody to kind of work through their faith. And I'm believing that God's going to raise up disciple makers among us, that it's not going to be the exception that we have a few people that are doing it, but as a general rule, our congregation will be full of disciple makers. I heard a story about a guest who, who came to a Pentecostal church for the first time. Anybody remember coming to a Pentecostal church for the first time? All right, you remember you were you were scarred by that experience. Well, he's this this guest came and sat next to a disciple maker who had invited him, and so he was curious and wanted an answer for every behavior that he did not understand. And so, when somebody spoke in tongues, he asked about it. What is that? When a man took off running around the sanctuary, 
he asked, what does that mean? When a sister stepped out of the aisle and danced until her hair fell down, well, that was curious to them, and they wanted to know what that was all about. The disciple maker answered every question to the best of his ability. Then the pastor got up to speak and took off his watch and laid it on the pulpit. The guest asked, what does that mean? His friend replied, oh, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) And that's the truth. I don't even wear a watch. But many visitors come to Pentecostal churches and they never return because they have so many unanswered questions. They're left confused. They don't, they don't understand it. They've not grown up in an environment like that or they're challenged by it. And if only they had somebody who could answer the question. And I, I am always glad to meet with people. I'm always glad to talk to people and teach people Bible studies as I can. But I also understand that there's, that limits the growth of the church. If I have to be the one to answer every question that anybody poses about certain subjects. And so I feel like we have an opportunity as a congregation. An opportunity for further growth to be realized if we would take it upon ourselves to be disciple makers. Not that we have to know everything. But understand that we are a part of the equation of somebody coming to maturity in Christ. Because here's the question. How long does it take for somebody to be a disciple? They go through Discover Calvary, Membership 101. Boom, they're a disciple. No, we know that. The purpose of our assimilation courses is not to disciple somebody completely. It's to lead them on a journey so they can grow in Christ. They can be presented with some different things. But the real maturity that takes place in people is not just in the conversion moment, but it's in the maturity moment or the maturity aspect. And how long did it take for your baby to mature? They haven't got there yet. Sarah's been telling me this about Nathan for the last several years. She's really praying for him. But how long is maybe not the right question, but what is the mark of maturity? What's the mark of maturity? Mark of maturity is that a disciple is baptized, a disciple is taught. And the disciple is able to replicate or reproduce. There's fruitfulness in their life. And so maturity takes time. And I encourage us to be patient with that process with people. Don't just drop them off at the church and hope that the church finishes the work. Walk with them. Well, you might not be able to meet with them every week at a certain time for a certain number of hours. But check in with them, meet with them, go out to eat with them, let them answer, ask you questions. Here's what we find in the last consideration tonight is found in the book of Acts. 
These are the disciples who had just been instructed to go and make disciples. All right, so this is the group that Jesus said these things to. So Acts chapter 37. Now when the people who heard the message of Jesus preached by Peter heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay, we hear about Jesus I, I, I want to believe in Jesus, but what am I supposed to do about that? So Peter gives them a way to be converted, a way to put their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So this conversion, it was this conversion moment for these people. Here's how you turn towards Jesus Christ. You repent. You're baptized in his name. Let him empower you with his spirit. It's a gift for you. He said, it's for you, your children, to all those who are far off. Then it said that those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added. They were brought into the fold. They were brought into the body. But here's where I want us to pick up that second element, that second task of disciple-making. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine. What is that? Teaching what Jesus Christ had taught to the apostles. And fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as many as had need. So, continually, continuing, daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It wasn't just this baptism and let them go and good luck with that. It was this concentrated effort that the body of Christ said, we're going to gather together. We're going to gather together for the purpose of teaching what Jesus Christ has taught us. And so the real emphasis of disciple making is it is baptizing people and it is teaching people. Baptizing people and teaching people. Baptizing people and teaching people people. That's what we're called to do. In his book, Follow to Lead, Stan Gleason says, God is calling us to an awakening of our God-given purpose and specifically the calling to not just believe for conversions and baptisms. We believe for conversions and baptisms. I believe we're going to have a baptism this Sunday, and that's awesome. But We're called to get involved in helping people come to be mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, don't wait to have the answers to all life's questions before you become a disciple maker. 
Don't wait until you know the answer to every biblical question before you become a disciple maker. Don't wait until you know the answer to all of the questions about Christianity and you've got it perfected exactly right in your life. Don't wait until you can upgrade yourself to some status in the Christian world and then I'll, I'll really make disciples. No, don't wait for those things because if you still feel unqualified to be a disciple maker, consider the first disciples. How qualified were they? They were not chosen from the hallowed halls of universities. Jesus may have hoped that his disciples smelled like heavenly phosphorus or something like that, but they smelled like mud and dead fish. Their lack of education and career choices were evident. Tax collectors, fishing, actively rebelling against the Roman culture. It was not exactly your first round draft pick kind of people. The rabbis weren't lined up to grab the people Jesus was recruiting. And Jesus spent 42 months with them. And then he physically left them. Nothing but the Old Testament in their hand to disciple people around them. No church buildings, no clear-cut religious practices, no church transportation, no internet to search Google for what does this mean. And surely today, we can be disciple-makers if they were disciple-makers. And I believe that for you, and I believe that for me. And so our app time for just a few minutes is want you to talk about how you have been made a disciple. Specifically, the two things, who baptized you, tell that story. And then, who has been the person in your life that has taught you the most about God? Tell how they taught you. All right? Is everybody ready? Find somebody, sit next to them, share your story. App time begins now. All right, why don't you stand tonight? Pastor Gleason made this quote, and I think it's great. Jesus did not compartmentalize new birth and spiritual maturity. He placed it all under one grand vision of making 
disciples. God is, I believe, calling the Calvary Church back to our roots, being fishers of men, and making disciples. And I'm believing the Lord's going to raise up some great disciple makers in this room and in this church. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word tonight. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to share with one another how we came to mature in Christ. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to believe and to be baptized, the power that baptism has in our life, that it's a a point of faith for us. It's a, a point of connection with the body. But Lord, we take on your name. It's a spiritual transaction in heaven where we become in covenant with you. Lord, thank you for the work of baptism, forgiveness of sins, the power of your spirit. Thank you for the opportunity to be converted from our sins, Lord. And I pray tonight that, Lord, if somebody has not made that decision, that they would make a decision to be baptized baptized in your name, that they would allow their hearts to be filled with the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. I pray for that experience, Lord. I pray, God, that you would call us as a congregation to make disciples by teaching, that all of us can have a role in teaching others about you. God, whether we're up in a pulpit teaching the word of God or or flipping a chart and teaching a Bible study or just sharing with somebody how we've walked through some scenarios in our life, I pray, oh God, that all of us would teach others, God, the works of God, the, the gospel and the things that you have done in our life so that we can go on and continue to see disciples made for your glory as long as we have the chance. Thank you, oh God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for this great church. Bring us back on Sunday for a great service in the name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.